moving forward, we can, you know, kind of, again, have a reset um, and, and not have a bunch of miserable people out there if we don't go 15-0. and Because it's going to be a very miserable life if, if that's what you're waiting on every single year to determine your happiness. Hello and welcome in. It's always college football. We appreciate you being with us. Like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Thanks for being here via the YouTube channel. Or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. Like I said, it helps us out an awful lot. Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster. I'm Greg McElroy. Really appreciate y'all being along with us throughout the course of this offseason. We are full speed ahead. We're the second week of February. There's a lot of things still to get to, including couple of coordinator hires over the weekend for the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll tell you what Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele mean for what might be a new look Alabama and how they might look a little similar to what they looked like back in the day. We're also going to talk a little bit about Dabo Sweeney. You saw the comments just a minute ago. We're going to dive a little deeper into those. There's a lot to unpack and maybe we'll just spin right out of it and give you the top 12 most pressure-packed jobs heading in to 2023 you might think about you could do one historically but you could also do one in 2023 we wanted to look at 2023 because look pressure packed jobs it's part of it and not saying coaches are on the hot seat by the way i'm not suggesting teams are gonna lose or any of these other things i'm saying coaches that are jobs frankly schools that have real pressure applied to their head coaching spot regardless of who's filling it but especially that here in 2023. So we're going to get to that. We're going to rank those teams and we'll get to some news and notes, some things that have gone down over the last few days. We'll dial into some of that. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Let's talk about it. It's the sound to start selling on Shopify, packed with industry-leading tools, ready to ignite your growth. Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. Now, it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ACF. All lowercase, go to shopify.com slash ACF to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash ACF. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, big news made over the weekend. Tommy Reese is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then Kevin Steele on Sunday was announced as the, offense, the defensive coordinator for the Tide. So a lot that happened in Tuscaloosa over the weekend. Let's start offensively. Tommy Reese receiving a very lucrative $2 million plus deal to be the OC for Nick Saban and the Tide. What is cool about this move? Now, you look at the numbers, a lot of people up in arms, 60th in offense, not ridiculously good as far as yards gained, not ridiculously good as far as points scored. But 
Here's why I'm very optimistic about the hire. We've talked about Alabama for a while now. They have, in the last handful of years, moved away from the power run game, the downhill run game, and had transitioned more into an RPO-based system. Now, they haven't necessarily lived in RPO since Tua Tungabailoa was there, but they've kind of moved a little bit more to becoming pass-happy and more into empowering the wide receivers in the quarterback position. But if you look at the backbone that was Alabama at the beginning of this remarkable run, back in the 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 seasons, and 15, if you want to take it one step further, their entire offense was centered around running the ball downhill and creating advantages on both lines of scrimmage. That's where Alabama won championships. Now, they've moved and have adjusted since then, but I still think there's a place in college football for an extremely physical team, and that's what Tommy Reese is going to implement in Tuscaloosa. He's going to run the ball 35 times a game. People say balance, right? Balance is the key. Well, new age balance is like 60-40 pass run. We understand that, but I do think with how they're going to practice and with how physical they're going to practice, it's likely to pay dividends for Alabama if they want to improve on the defensive side as well. Tommy Reese will specialize in creating a very complimentary style of offense that won't hang the defense out to dry. And at times that defense, relatively speaking, has struggled. So I think it's a great move for Alabama to get back to doing what they've done in the past. We'll talk about how it affects Notre Dame down the road because I do think when we figure out who's replacing Tommy Reese, it'll be interesting to talk about where that offense needs to go, should go, will go, etc. One final bullet point about Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese, say what you want, last year, Notre Dame had one game-changing pass catcher, and that was Michael Mayer. You could even go back two years. I feel like Notre Dame on the perimeter has left a little to be desired. Understandably so. But you look at Michael Mayer's production. You look at how Tommy Reese was able to feature that position. I think you are probably just scratching the surface of what he could become as far as featuring players and being creative with how he plans. So I think that Tommy Reese, a good young offensive coordinator, and should re-implement that downhill play-action passing attack that led to Alabama winning four national championships between 2009 in 2015. Transitioning to the defensive side. A lot of people like to go to Kevin Steele's background and pick out the low-hanging fruit by suggesting he allowed 70 points in the bowl game. I remember the game. I watched the game. It was 10 years ago. If we are all defined by our worst game as players and or coaches, a lot of people probably aren't held in super high regard. That was a tough day for Kevin Steele, no denying that. But how are you going to overlook what was accomplished in times at Clemson? What was accomplished in times at Florida State, what was accomplished in times at Alabama, and at other stops along the way, Auburn more specifically. The guy has done a remarkably good job for a ridiculously long time. Now, like I said, I think that a lot of people kind of sat there and said, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure. But then again, Nick Saban is trying to win a national championship in 2023 every year. He's trying to win a national championship. He went all in on Todd Grantham. Todd Grantham opted to return to the NFL. Understandably so. Why? Because the NFL lifestyle is a whole heck of a lot easier on coordinators than the college lifestyle is. So Grantham, not worried about the money, actually took less to go back to the NFL because the NFL will afford him a six-month vacation if he wants it. 
So I understand why he made that decision. It's all about quality of life and plenty of other coaches are flocking to the league because of those circumstances right now. But Kevin Steele and Nick Saban go back a long way. And I don't think Nick Saban right now at this point is wanting to reinvent the wheel. He wants to have a guy that understands how it's supposed to look. He wants a guy that understands what Nick Saban wants. And he also wants a guy too that can stand on his own accord with what he's accomplished already in the game. He doesn't want to bring along a young guy and kind of teach him the ins and outs of how Alabama runs their defense, runs their scheme, and runs their practices. Kevin Steele knows how it's supposed to look. This will be, I think, a really solid plug-and-play situation for Alabama defensively. Now, well, they'll do a few things that are a little different than what they've done in recent years, but either way, I think this is a good, solid hire. The guy has great familiarity with the program, and he has great familiarity with the southeastern footprint when it comes to recruiting on the trail as well. So I think it's solid hires on both sides of the ball for Alabama. We referenced Kevin Steele. We referenced what he did back 10 years ago in the bowl game at Clemson, right? He was the defensive coordinator there. Well, speaking of Clemson, let's transition. A lot going on right now as it relates to Dabo Sweeney's program. They've had a few black eyes over the course of his incredible run. Not many, I might add. But he's kind of fed up with the idea, or at least it sounds like it, he's fed up with the idea that people aren't super thrilled with where the program currently is. You start over every year and you go to work, but man, what's, what's happened in this program the last 12 years is it's, it's historic. And it's, and it's been done by a lot of people. I'm, I'm, I just, all I've done is my part. That's all I've done. But, man, these players, the staff, all the support staff that have come through this program for years and what's going on here, it's, I mean, 12 years of 10-plus wins. Alabama's had 15. The next longest streak is two. You know, and, and, and for, for us to, you know, act like we're a bunch of failures around here because we, we only won 11 and won the league and we lost our rival in state for the first time in a decade, uh, I just think that's a bad mentality, you know. And if you again, three national championships in 127 years, and we, we, Final Four, it's hard to get there. We'll, we're forever be the only team that's went to six Final Fours in a row. That ain't ever going to happen, right? Because <laughs> it's going to change next year. Um, and uh, so it's hard. It's really hard to win. Everybody's got good coaches. Everybody's got good players. But the consistency that we've been able to have here on and off the field is it's incredibly rare. It's incredibly unique. And we focus so much on what we don't do and uh, instead of what we do do. And you, you learn, you get better, and you grow, you know, from each and every season. You make changes when you need to make changes. You, um, you keep learning, you know. And uh, so that has served us well. And and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, moving forward, we can, you know, kind of, again, have a reset uh, and, and not have a bunch of miserable people out there if we don't go 15-0. and 0. All right, you hear from Dabo Sweeney there. Uh, understandable, right? A little bit fed up with the fact that, man, you got to be perfect or else the season's deemed a failure. We've heard similar circumstances and similar complaints from other people scattered throughout the country at various different spots. Look. I understand Dabo's sentiment. I do. Because I told him, actually, I called the Orange Bowl. I went down on the field. I said, Dabo, man, this is one heck of a down year. I said that to him verbatim. And he laughed and he chuckled and he, you know, kind of shrugged me away. All right, Greg, you know, don't call it a down year. Like he doesn't, you know, he understands. But I said, man, it's a heck of a down year. You win 11 games, you win the league. Like, 
okay, so there have been some close calls. There have been some less than stellar performances, but you're still here in a New Year's Six Bowl game. You're still here on the cusp of having won 12. I mean, they've done it as much, if not more than anyone for the last six or seven years dating back to 2015. Now, I'll say this. Is he the beneficiary of what was a somewhat weakened ACC? Yeah, of course. But what do you want? You want Dabo to complain? You want Dabo to make you know make excuses on behalf of his ACC brethren saying, well, it's not my fault that we raised the bar and no one else could keep up? Sure. I mean, I understand that. I, I get it. And if I were Dabo, I'd be sensitive to that as well. But look, here's what I'd say to Dabo and here's what I'd say to any other coach that's in this, quote, predicament where the expectations are too high. You created them. Like You are the one that created them. You're the reason why the expectations are what they are. You're the one that preaches to us as fans, as consumers of college football content. You're the ones that tells us, hey, man, we're striving to be perfect. We're striving to be the best version of us. We're striving to get better. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to improve. And if we have a disappointing situation or outcome, we're going to address the issue and we're going to come back stronger. Like you're the one that plants it in our seed, plants the seed in our head that we should expect nothing less than the very best. And we, we've talked about this as it relates to other places too. I mean, we don't set the expectation level. The expectation level is set by the performance on the field. And the performance on the field for the Clemson Tigers has been unbelievably good for the last 12 years or so. So I think Davos well-intentioned in saying this. And I think we all could use a little bit of, you know, reality every once in a while as well. Like there's only one team that wins a national championship. And I've said this about Alabama, I've said this about Ohio State, I've said this about Clemson, I've said this about several other programs. Like you cannot determine your season as a success or failure based on who won the national championship. Like, did TCU fail this year? Did Tennessee fail this year? Did Alabama fail this year? Did Ohio State fail this year? No, they all had very good years. But in the era of the college football playoff, how we define an elite season has changed drastically. And it's because we focus so much on those four teams. We focus so much on that championship game. And so much attention is paid to the outcome of that championship game. We have a tendency to overreact if for whatever reason you don't come out on top. But back in the day, getting to an Orange Bowl would have been a remarkable achievement. Back in the day, winning the Rose Bowl, if you're Penn State, a ridiculously great achievement. A historically great year in the annals of Penn State football. I mean, amazingly great season. So I wouldn't worry too much about how people perceive success or how people perceive a great year. Like you set your own standard. And if Dabo Sweeney feels as though last year was a great year, by all means. But if you feel as though you left something on the table that you could have achieved last year, then you got to take ownership of that as well. So... With respect to Dabo Sweeney, we decided to put together the 12 toughest, most pressure-packed situations heading in to 2023. You guys ready to go through it? I think it's, it's kind of fun. I think it's a good time. Look, these are just this year, okay? 
They might be different historically. You'll notice a couple of noticeable absences. Nebraska's not on the list. Historically, yes, they would be, but not on the list. Why? Because Matt Rule's in his first year. So he's not going to make the, hey, you're under pressure, Matt. You better win. No, no, not right now. At least I don't see it that way. And I also, a lot of people will say, well, Greg, pressure means hot seat. No, it's not. Since when? Like, like Dabo Sweeney essentially just told us like he's feeling some pressure, like to go bounce back and be back in the championship game, go back and win a national championship. Like he's feeling some pressure. Is he in jeopardy of getting fired? Absolutely not. Nick Saban, is there pressure to dethrone Georgia in 2023? Absolutely. Of course there is. Is there pressure? But is Nick Saban on the hot seat? Absolutely not. Ryan Day, is pressure to beat Michigan? Of course. Is he on the hot seat? I don't think he is. Some people in Twitterverse seem think he is. I don't know why, but either way, here are the top 12 pressure-packed situations heading into 2023. Let's start at number 12. It's Penn State. Partly because of the year they had this past year, a great year, I might add, and all the young pieces returning. Now, James Franklin, obviously, he's playing with a free role here, man. Like They did more this past year than most people anticipated, and he won the Rose Bowl. So all that being said, man, things are looking pretty good. But if for whatever reason they stumble, have an injury or two, and they fall to, say, eight and four, be pretty difficult to spin. Let's go next to number two. Well, 11, I guess. Number two on the list, Tennessee. And you're going to notice these first three, they're all kind of grouped together. Great years these past years. And if for whatever, everyone feels like, hey, man, we're, we're trending up. Here we go. We're trending up. Here we come. Well, all it takes is one stub toe. Next thing you know, you tumble back down the cliff. Penn State's at 12. Number 11 is Tennessee. Unbelievable year for Josh Heupel. Rewarded with a big lucrative contract. Well-deserved, I might add. And now he has the pressure of being able to repeat the performance without the Bolitnikoff winner at wide receiver and obviously a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. Now, I'm very confident in Joe Milton, too. I'm sure you are as well. But either way, they come in at number 11. At number 10, Mike Norvell and the Florida State Seminoles. Like I said, those first three, you're going to notice pretty consistent with the grouping. They're teams that have really solid 2022 campaigns, but now need to follow it up when they are the hunted as opposed to the hunter. So Florida State comes in. Everyone seems to think they're a top five team. They go nine and three again. People are going to start to get a little restless with what went down in Tallahassee over the 23 season. At number nine, we went with the Clemson Tigers. I don't think Davo Sweeney's really in a position where people are going to try to run him out of town or anything. Like, but there is pressure now, especially as Florida State and Florida State, I might add, might be the preseason pick in the ACC to win the league. So I actually think the pressure. In a normal year, Davos Sweeney is probably a top five pressure job because the expectations win or failure. But this year, I would say it's down a little bit because maybe people aren't paying as close attention. And he just made adjustments to his staff. He's got a new quarterback that people are very high on. So I think Davos Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers, he comes in at number nine. At number eight, the USC Trojans. Why Lincoln Riley needs to address one side of the football. And I can promise you this, you know what side it is. Like, I don't need to explain what the deal is. Actually, if you want to take one step further, Alex Grinch might have more pressure on him. But the SC job in general, a lot of pressure heading into this upcoming year, much like the first three that we mentioned. They feel like they're on an upward trajectory. They feel like they might be in a position to break through, make the playoff this upcoming season. You got a Heisman Trophy winner returning. A lot to like about the roster, a lot to like about the personnel. 
But if for whatever reason, maybe you stumble, have a game or two here or there where you don't play great on the defensive side, guess what? People are going to continue to beat down the narrative that Lincoln Riley is all about offensive statistics and he doesn't care about the defense and he hangs him out to dry and all these other things. So you know the pressure's there. When you're making $11 million a year, you expect the pressure. Let's go next to number seven, Florida Gators. Now, a lot of people might have this group a little bit higher. I still think Billy Napier's on the right track. Right track. I really believe that. But look at how many coaches have been fired in Gainesville in the last 10 years. I mean, they have run countless coaches out of town, it feels like, and guys that actually had success. Dan Mullen got to an SEC championship game within a year or two of getting fired. Jim McElwain got to the SEC championship game multiple times, then within a year or two was fired. I understand, hey, these guys maybe didn't feel like it was the right fit. Maybe didn't feel like it was the right collection of players and coaches. I get it. It's fine. Maybe you didn't like how they recruited. I'm never going to complain, but Billy Napier needs to show progress here in year number two. They already had a little bit of a difficult spot with the recruiting situation when Jaden Rashad and leaving, but I still like their class. And I still think that there's enough there to be able to think that they, I'm not saying they're going to challenge in the SEC East, but they could take a step in an SEC East that has some question marks. Look, Tennessee's probably the number two team. Georgia's clearly the number two, number one. Who's number three? Some say it's South Carolina. Some say it might be might be Kentucky. Some people like an awful lot Florida with what they might bring back in the year number two in the system and the progress that should happen from a developmental standpoint. But you can't tell me that Florida's ever going to be outside the top eight. No chance. They're in at number seven. At number six, Oklahoma. Brent Venables tempted to put him a little bit higher on the list, knowing that they have not had a great start to his tenure. But man, I felt great about the recruiting class. I think you did too. I think we all should. Top four recruiting class did a great job of reinforcing some strengths along both lines of scrimmage. And I just think that his system is a complex system and it might take a little time to get comfortable in. It requires an awful lot at all three levels to be working in unison. So maybe you could chalk up some of their performance last year to inconsistencies on defense, but you got to think they're going to be much better, more sound in year number two. And offensively, man, you can attribute their struggles or momentary struggles at times to the injury of the best important position. Dylan Gabriel being out crushed them for a handful of games. So I think that was significant as well. So I have Brent Venables in there at number six. At number five, I'm putting the Michigan Wolverines. I know it feels like, you know, how is Jim Harbaugh under any pressure whatsoever? I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying he's at Michigan. The expectations are always high. And now, remember, he's lost two consecutive semifinal performances. And you can make a case this past year, he had the better roster. And people are now, you know, well, can he win the big game? Can he get through? Can he break through? I mean, the guys won an NFC championship, but, you know, can he win in college? I think it's ridiculous. I think it's low-hanging fruit. But I still think anytime you're at Michigan, it's definitely a top 10 pressure job. I think knowing the circumstances of how they played against TCU in the semifinal, it'd be hard for me not to have them clearly in the top five. Let's go to number four, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, Marcus Freeman cleaned a lot of things up there after what was a very rough start. But the Stanford game, borderline inexcusable. The SC game, not a great performance by any stretch of the imagination. Now, finished on a high note in some ways, but 
when you look at everything for Notre Dame, it feels like now with Marcus Freeman, got to find out who the OC is going to be. Got to do a couple things. But either way, I think they're poised to take a big step, but the pressure is still going to exist. Much like Michigan, Notre Dame's always going to be at or near the top as far as the pressure cooker rankings. Let's go next to number three, the Texas Longhorns. Steve Sarkeesian, the expectations for the Longhorns are always high. This feels like a bit of a make or break year for Sark. Feels like a huge... Now, they did a great job of recruiting, much like Oklahoma. You finish in the top three from a recruiting standpoint, you're cooking with gas, man. But will you be able to provide the product on the field that everybody else wants to see? Now, they had some ups and downs. They were without Quinn Ewers for a little bit, but Quinn Ewers played really poorly down the stretch. What happened with that? You're supposed to be a quarterback whisperer. That'll be a question mark that people have throughout the offseason as will Arch Manning's coming in. Will he potentially be the guy? Was there pressure to make that decision? There's going to be a lot of external pressure to play Arch if Quinn doesn't play great early on. So there's a lot that you need to take into account when looking at the Texas situation. So I have them squarely at number three. And the top two should be very obvious because they fall in line with what we talked about with Clemson. If you don't win the whole thing, people will view the season as a remarkable failure. I don't think that's fair, but people are going to feel the way they feel. I'm not going to tell people how to feel. I'm not going to tell people why they should feel a certain way. They're going to feel how they feel. Alabama's in it too, and then Ryan Day and Ohio State are in at the top spot. Why? Because Alabama is at least taking care of their rival, right? Alabama, yes, maybe their rival has now morphed, and their rival is now sitting in Athens, Georgia. Auburn, a little bit of a rebuild situation. We'll see what happens with Hugh Freeze. Either way, the pressure now is to close the gap that currently exists. It might not be as significant as some may say, but to close the gap between them and Georgia because it appears at least in the last two years that the gap has widened a bit. Let's see if Alabama this year in 23 can get back on top of college football. And then Ohio State, not only is the pressure there to beat your rival and Jim Harbaugh, but the pressure is also there for Ryan Day to break through and get it done in the college football playoff. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right, now into some news and notes. Texas and Oklahoma 
trying to leave the Big 12 a year early. Those talks, for the most part, broken down. They're not totally dead, I'm told, but at the moment, it appears as though they will play in the Big 12, both in 2023, as we've already documented, and in 2024. Now, why did this go down? Obviously, you never want to be in a lame duck situation. It's not ideal. It'd be best for everybody, for Texas and Oklahoma, to move into the SEC in 24. But that's really everybody as it relates to Texas, Oklahoma, and the Big 12. When you get the television networks involved, that's when it gets a little bit trickier because certain money has been spent and certain money has been promised and certain money has been allocated. And if you don't have the matchups that you had originally planned for financially, there are going to be a lot of holdups, I think, as it relates to that. So ultimately, I think in a perfect world, they would be gone in 24, but it's not going to happen because it doesn't seem like Fox and ESPN are going to be able to agree to a certain number. Moving on to the next piece of news. Todd Blackledge, Noah Eagle, and Catherine Tappan are going to be leading the NBC primetime Big Ten game of the week. Now, this is pretty cool. Well, we don't know for certain at this point if he's going to be doing, if those three will be doing exclusively Big Ten. We don't know if maybe they'll mix a couple Notre Dame games in there or what. But I can tell you this. I don't know Noah. I know his dad a little bit, not well. I think Noah's phenomenally good. I've really enjoyed watching him over the years. I think Catherine Tappan is phenomenal. But I'll say this. I know Todd Blackledge well. I don't think there's anybody that does it better than him. It's my own personal opinion. I think he is the best. And I think he calls a game from a position of authority. And I think that it's just a tremendous coup for NBC. And I'm so happy for Todd. He's a good friend. And he's a guy that I've always really looked up to in the business. So happy for him. And I really am happy for college football fans because I think they're going to really enjoy the sound of what should be another outstanding primetime booth. And then finally, Anaya Smith, Texas A&M wide receiver, decided to put off the NFL draft just for one more year to return to Aggieland. This is significant. Remember, he got hurt against Arkansas. Terrible injury, just hated it. Such a great player, an explosive player, an explosive weapon, a versatile weapon. But it's neat to see that he's decided to come back. And man, this is massive. Massive for Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher's offense. Him being able to step back in, you can move him around, you can play him at running back, you can play him in the slot, put him anywhere, and he'll be able to figure it out and you can just get him the ball in space and see what happens. Knowing that Devon A. Chain is gone, knowing that you have Anaya Smith back, a guy that you can feature within the offense, is huge for two outstanding offensive minds. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Anaya Smith and the Texas A&M Aggies moving forward. We'll talk about some of these teams specifically a little bit down the road. All right, final thought. Look, I think pressure's awesome. Uh, to me, that's... Like I, I wouldn't want, I don't know about y'all, like I wouldn't want a job, whether it be Ohio State, Bama, Texas, Oklahoma, SC, Florida. Like I couldn't imagine wanting a job where people were indifferent about your performance. Like I, I want the expectation level at my place to be as high externally as it is internally. And I think that's really a testament to what Dabo Sweeney's created and to what Nick Saban's created and to what all those other aforementioned programs created. The expectation is high on the outside because of what goes on on the inside. I think pressure is a virtue, man. It bursts pipes and it makes diamonds. And I know that's cliche, but I think if you embrace that, you're poised for success 
in whatever field you decide to go into. So I happen to love it. And I think at his core, even though it might frustrate him a little bit, I think Davos Sweeney probably loves it too. Hey, we really appreciate you being with us. It's been awesome today. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Continue to reach out to us via social media at alwayscfb on Instagram and Twitter. And if you hit us up in the mailbag on email, we'll be able to interact and incorporate more of your questions into the show at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.